Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. All right, we're going to read today's scripture, and it comes from Mark 6, verses 30 to 32. It says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Mark six thirty to 32 This is God's word. Let's uh, say a word of prayer before we get into the message. Lord, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, it's living and active and uh, you use it, Lord, to teach us, to rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. Lord, I I pray that as we uh, dig into this message and, and this passage, Lord, that you would just open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, from you. And, uh, Lord, may may it result in a strengthening of faith and a deepening of love for you and in our relationship with you. Lord, I, I pray that you would be with me, you would fill me with your spirit, that that you would speak through me, um, and may, may this message not be one uh, that's a demonstration of my wisdom, but of, of your power. And we do this all for your glory and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so, uh, oh, this is my first time preaching to a camera. Definitely feels weird. Uh, so bear with me. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. I'm looking forward to uh, to sharing with you guys today. We're in the middle of a series that we've called Homegrown Faith, and uh, Marcus shared this idea with me before uh, the series began, and I absolutely loved it. One, because it's, it's centered around an uh, analogy about a farmer's market. And I'm from Pennsylvania, and uh, I might be a little biased, but I think Pennsylvania might be like the mecca of farmer's markets in the United States. You know, I grew up like an hour away from, uh, from Amish country, uh, so got to go to a lot of farmer's markets growing up. Um, but this analogy, I'll just go over it with, it, over it with you again. Uh, it's, it starts with what the church is not. And uh, Marcus has talked about it, but we as, as Christians sometimes have a tendency to treat church or treat God as if he were like a supermarket or if, as if he were a, a vending machine, very transactional in nature. And so, you know, we might come to church, so to speak, and we're walking through the aisles of the supermarket and we say, oh, I'll take this and I'll take that and, you know, I'll fill my card and I feel good about myself going home and then I fill my fridge and, you know, I'll let that, you know, I'll survive off of that for a little while, but once my fridge is empty, all right, then then I'll come back and I'll fill my card again. And we kind of re- repeat that, and it's kind of very transactional in nature. Um, and that's that's a sad tendency that, that uh, some of us have in relationship to church. Um, but the truth is that the church is not a place at all. The, the church is not a building. It's not even a gathering of people. Uh, the church is the people of God, and it functions a lot more like a farmer's market. And we all share this one thing in common, and uh, and that's faith in Christ. 
And faith in Jesus is planted in each one of our lives. And, it, and in us, it produces fruit. Uh, and the fruit we disp- display in our lives, it, it, it displays God's image. So the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and it comes out uh, in different ways uh, through different gifts, spiritual gifts, uh, natural gifts. You know, I, God has naturally gifted me with the ability to play music. That comes very naturally. I feel comfortable with it. Uh, Marcus has been, been given the gift of communication. That comes very natural to him. And so we use our gifts and we share our gifts with one another. And we come away... Uh, gaining something that we didn't have on our own and it's meant it's meant to be like that i'm gaining appreciation for you tonight because playing music tonight by myself in front of a camera was hard so thank you yeah so um our gatherings on sunday they're like a farmer's market where we 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 share the fruit that god has produced in our lives and the gifts that he's blessed us with and uh the farmer's market or that sunday gathering or that worship service that we so often call church um, is perhaps, it's, it's actually the ultimate picture of where God's economy is on display. His economy of love. You know, Jesus said that you will know my disciples by your love for one another. Uh, and so we're displaying God's love to others, his kindness, his generosity, his grace, his forgiveness. We do all those things first and foremost for God's glory. But as a result, we benefit from it. It's for our good. And uh, it's a beautiful picture of the church, that Sunday gathering, but the picture actually doesn't end there. Um, We, the church, the body, the individual parts, go home and hopefully we are refreshed. Hopefully we are encouraged and replenished with different fruits and gifts. And we continue to live out God's economy in the communities that we live in by uh, sharing those fruits and those gifts with others. Um, And we also continue to tend and care for our own personal garden. You know, just as uh, the individual members of a farmer's market have to go home and, you know, care for whatever product they're bringing, we're, we're just like that. You know, we have this, uh, this balance of, not even a balance, but it's just a relationship of personal transformation and shared mission as a church, where each one of us uh, are experiencing personal transformation. And, and in turn, as the body of Christ, we're on a shared mission to know him and to make him known. And this is where that that, uh, homegrown faith comes in. Uh, Each one of us has a garden. And that garden we must tend to. That garden in this analogy is our hearts. No one else can tend to that garden for us. It ultimately comes down to each one of us to tend the garden of our own hearts. It's not the job of our pastor, although we can teach and encourage and Uh, We should be doing those things. It's not the job of of our spouse. It's not the job of our parents, our siblings. It's not the job of our friends. You know, God uses different people and resources in our lives to to help us and encourage us. But it ultimately comes down to each one of us tending our own garden and preparing our own hearts. But just like a gardener is is powerless to actually make a plant grow, we're also powerless to create genuine heart change in ourselves. What we can do, though, is tend the garden. We can remove the rocks. We can till the soil. We can water the ground. We can put a fence around it. 
Um, these things that we do to tend the garden are what we call spiritual disciplines. So far in this homegrown faith series, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about fasting, and we've talked about uh, reading God's word. Today we're going to talk about solitude. Um, but before I go into that, I want to um, talk a little bit more about the spiritual disciplines. Um, there's a book called The Celebration of Discipline. It's by a, a gentleman named Richard Foster. And it's actually a really, it's a really good book. I read it once in college and I, I've read it once since then. And it would go really well if, if you're looking for a book to read during Corona. It would go really well with the series that we're going through right now because it just walks through all these different spiritual disciplines. Um, but Foster says in that book, he says, Spiritual disciplines do not create heart change, but create an environment in our hearts where change can occur. The life that is pleasing to God is not a series of religious duties. We have only one thing to do, namely to experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. As we talk about the spiritual disciplines, it is essential that we remember that the, the goal is intimacy with God. These, these disciplines are not a means of, of earning acceptance before God or, uh, or earning our, our, our right to, to be called His children. God's desire for, for you and me is relationship, and He's gone to great length by sending Jesus into the world so that our relationship with Him could be restored and so that we could experience life with Him. And this idea of God with us uh, has been just really stirring around in my head the last month or so. You know, uh, some of you might, might be familiar with, you know, when Jesus came to earth, uh, it said he will be called Emmanuel, which, which means God with us. Um, and being with God has been his plan for us all along. That's how he originally created the garden. But then obviously, you know, uh, we, man sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and the fall happened, and we were separated from God. But ever since then, God has been working and putting a plan in motion so that we could be restored to be with him again. Uh, Psalm 23 is a great, great, uh, I could have preached just on that, how it talks about, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters. And it ends ultimately with, Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this idea of dwelling with God um, is so important. Um, Britt Merrick is a, a pastor in California who I, I enjoy listening to his sermons. He said this, and I have this written on my computer screen in my office. He says, we are called to be worshipers first and workers second. In that order. You know, it's so easy to... to think that when we work for God, then, then somehow we're worthy to worship Him. But that's not the way it goes. Uh, when we look at the life of Jesus, He actually spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying alone before He started His ministry. Um, in a lot of ways, it was, I think, to prepare Him for ministry. Um, and also just a reminder to us that time with God should precede uh, the things that we do for Him. And this is, this is a big deal to God. More important than you doing things for him is that uh, you spend time with him. Um, and I say all this just to remind us that the goal of spiritual disciplines is intimacy with God. 
And so today, uh, we're going to be taking a look at the discipline of solitude. Um, to some extent, I think uh, with co uh, COVID-19 going on right now, uh, some of us have been practicing this involuntarily, perhaps. Um, for, for some of us, the thought of, of being completely alone sounds like paradise. For some of us, the thought of being alone sounds like purgatory. Um, the, uh, the fear of being alone is a pretty common one, I think. Um, and because of it, I think it causes a lot of us to constantly surround ourselves with people or to flood our minds with distractions. When we can't be with people, we, we create for ourselves a constant stream of noise, whether it's music or media or news. Um, and this is true even of people like me who, who enjoy spending time with by, alone by ourselves. Um, it's just out of habit, you know, like... I have some alone time and all of a sudden I find myself picking up my phone or just turning on the radio or, you know, you name it, doing something to distract my mind. Uh, because even though we see something that, that can be beneficial, sometimes it doesn't always come natural. Um, uh, an idea that, that maybe you're familiar with or, or maybe not um, is that there's a difference between being alone and loneliness. And uh, God doesn't call us into loneliness. He calls us into solitude. Uh, Foster says in, in his chapter about solitude in that book, he says, loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Solitude is actually knowing that you are not alone. It's be, being fulfilled with and in the presence of God and being fully known and fully loved. Uh, Foster also says, solitude is more a state of mind and heart than a place. Um, solitude is intentionally, this is my personal definition, solitude is intentionally disconnecting physically or mentally from the presence of other things uh, or people in order to enhance an inward attentiveness to the presence and voice of God. The other thing I think is really valuable about solitude is that it's a great equalizer to the other spiritual disciplines because it inherently forces us to stop trying to do things for God or to earn our acceptance before Him. You know, the, the discipline of Scripture reading, you, you, you can say, Lord, if I, if I read the Bible enough or if I pray enough or if I serve enough, um, but solitude is the opposite of that. It, it stops all those things. And it's actually in this place of solitude that often God can care for us. Again, back to Psalm 23. He, uh, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And so uh, let's look at the, the verse again that we read earlier from Mark 6. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves, to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. I want to give you a little bit of context as to what's happening in the story uh, when, when Jesus says this to his disciples. Uh, a short time before this happened, Jesus had actually sent his disciples out in pairs on kind of like a, a missions trip, so to speak. And he gave them the authority to preach. He gave them the authority to heal and to cast out demons. And uh, 
they went out and, and they had a successful trip. Uh, they preached and people believed. They anointed people with oil and they were healed. And they even cast out some demons. And then another thing happened during this time. At some point, John the Baptist, who was uh, the prophet that Jesus said was uh, the greatest man to ever live, who uh, kind of called people to repentance, saying that the, the the Savior, the Messiah, is coming. He was beheaded. Um, and, and then the disciples returned. They returned from their mission trip, and, and they reported everything that, that had happened. And I'm sure that the disciples were proud to have a good report to give Jesus. Uh, if I had to guess, they were probably expecting him to, to turn around and give them an, another mission, you know, their next bigger, better mission. But as we can see, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't give them a new mission. He didn't give them a promotion. He didn't give them a new job title or a bigger budget or a building. He didn't give them more responsibilities. Instead, he said, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, I got to thinking, and, and I think this is probably what the disciples maybe thought at first, like, what about all these needs that are left unmet? It says in the text right there, so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have the leisure to eat. And then, like, what about the state of the community? John the Baptist was just beheaded. There was some real unrest in the community, and this, this wasn't a time for rest. There's, there's work to be done. Um, what we learn here from Jesus' response is that his life was not lived in a needs-based manner. His life was based on what the Father told him to do. It was based on God's voice. In John 5, Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And what you and I have to realize is that we are not the Savior. But even Jesus, who was and is the Savior took time to step away from needs to be with his father in the midst of craziness. Now, some difficult questions to ask ourselves are, are you okay when no one needs you? When you're not in the midst of important things? Who are you when you're by yourself, when you remove yourself from being busy and needed? Those are difficult questions. This, this struggle that maybe some of you are feeling, it's the struggle of the empty nester whose kids leave home and they don't know what to do with themselves because they're no longer needed. It's the struggle of the professional sports athlete whose career ends and they're no longer uh, appreciated for what they once were and so they're trying to figure out who they are. It's the struggle of the pastor who has to step away from ministry for a time. Who are you when you're by yourself and you remove yourself from being busy and needed? The answer to that is simple, but it's also critical for each one of us to understand. That each one of us whose faith is in Christ, when we're by, by ourselves, when we're not needed, we are nothing but a beloved son or daughter of God. 
In Ephesians 1, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. God loved you and he chose you before the foundation of the world. He loved you long before you could do anything good for him and long after you will be any good for him. One of the great beauties of what Jesus has done for us is that because he took on our sin, we take on his righteousness before the Father. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. This means that when God sees us, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfection. And what he says about Jesus, he also says about us in Christ. This is the adoption that we have received. 1 John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I will never forget uh, the time, the first time that I held my daughter, Evie, my oldest daughter, in my, in my arms. And, you know, she was born at about 3 in the morning. And uh, by the time every, everybody, you know, things got settled down and uh, Trish was sleeping on the bed. And it was that first morning I was just holding her in my arms. And uh, for those of you who are parents, you probably remember that, that overwhelming sense of love. Uh, that you had never felt before until you held your, your child. Um, and to me, it was, wow, I've, I've never felt this love come out of me before, but I've also, I'm also getting an understanding of God's love for me in a whole different way. And, uh, man, I, I was just, you know, fighting back the tears. And uh, the verse that came to mind in that moment was, First uh, John 3, 1, which says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And so in this time of solitude, this is, this is what we need to realize, that apart from what we do for God, He has loved us and He has called us His children, and He's gone to great lengths to prove His love for us. Another reason why solitude can be so difficult uh, is because it's sometimes in that place of inner quiet and solitude that God wants to deal with our stuff, with the brokenness inside us and our woundedness. Um, I've been reading a book by uh, Paul Tripp recently, and he's talk he talked about the difference between spiritual blindness and physical blindness. Somebody who's physically blind knows that they're physically blind. Somebody who's spiritually blind doesn't even is blind to their blindness. They don't even know that they are blind. And so sometimes it's, it's in those, those moments of quiet and stillness where God kind of shows us our blind spot. You know, he shows us something about us that uh, he's trying to change and to transform. But God doesn't reveal our brokenness and our blindness to us so that he can condemn us or shame us. Romans 8 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, God reveals our brokenness to us as an act of grace so that we're reminded of our need for him and his love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his love for, this, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So when we view our, our sin through the lens of the gospel, we see, we see and understand that God revealing our brokenness to us is actually an act of grace so that we can return to him and praise him for the uh, provision that he's made for us in Christ. You know, John 3.16, the, the most quoted verse probably in the Bible, maybe along with uh, Psalm 23, um, is a great verse, and I'll say it here, but perhaps the most underquoted verse in the Bible are, are John uh, 3.17 and 18. The whole thing goes, as you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then John 17 and 18 says, For God did not send his Son in the, into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Do you believe this? Have you received it? If you haven't yet believed and, and received God's forgiveness and a new life through Jesus, all of these spiritual disciplines are, are really pointless. Um, they're just religious activity. They don't have the power to save you from your brokenness. They don't have the power to make you right in God's sight. God himself is the only one who can produce genuine heart transformation. And he has made a way for us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I would encourage you, believe in and receive Christ. Begin life in relationship with God and begin to let him transform your life. If you have received God's grace uh, through faith in Christ, you know, I pray that today you're encouraged. Encouraged and reminded of his love for you. And we all need to be reminded daily um, because we're so forgetful. God is so gracious in reminding us. We are simply the gardeners that cultivate an environment where God can do his transforming work. That's the heart behind this homegrown faith series. That uh, your faith wouldn't just be the faith of your pastor or the faith of your parents or the faith of your spouse. But it would be your faith, just that. And that God would, would begin and com continue to do a work in your heart so that you can uh, bear fruit and participate uh, in his kingdom. Uh, before I end, I do want to give you guys some gardening tips uh, about solitude uh, and the practice of solitude. I have three things. The first would be uh, take advantage of the little moments of silence and solitude in your life. For a lot of us, uh, these little moments are maybe the most important things. I know if you have kids, um, you know the, the moments of silence and solitude are few and far between. But what they do is they, they offer little moments to reorient our compass regularly. So whether it's uh, waking up a little bit before the house uh, wakes up, or uh, taking some time after everyone has gone to bed to just sit and be with God. Maybe it's uh, using your commute to work instead of listening to, to, the, to the radio, music, or talk radio. Just have some time with the Lord in, in solitude and silence before Him. 
maybe it's uh, just stepping outside for a second in the middle of your day and uh, just appreciating um, God's presence. You know, today was a great day for that. Um, the second thing would be to either find or create a space for solitude. Uh, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual are, are far more connected than I think most of us realize. And I would say that inner solitude is probably not going to be easy to, to achieve in the place that you work. It's probably also not going to be able, uh, easy to achieve in the place where you sleep. And chances are, if you're like me or Margus, it might not be easy to achieve in the place where you eat. You know, your mind is going to be distracted by different things or... Uh, you know, and that happens too. Um, it's also a discipline. It's it's something that we get better at, with practice at. So, um, yeah, find a space, create a space for that. Lastly, uh, schedule it. When it comes to larger chunks of solitude, uh, which we which was are very important as well, and we see Jesus practicing as I, as we see in this passage, and uh, as I referred to earlier. You know, those, those chunks of, of solitude with God are probably not just going to happen unless you schedule it. So work with your spouse, work with your family. Um, I try and make a habit of at least once a year spending a period of 24 hours in complete solitude by myself. Uh, I know each person is different uh, with what stage in life they're in and, and, and uh, you know, how they're able to work that out. But I would encourage you to, to work with your family it's, it's a great uh, discipline to practice. And uh, yeah, put it on the calendar. And I would encourage you to, to practice it in some way in the next month. It's to set, a, a, set aside some time to spend at least four hours of solitude uh, at one point in time and uh, practice that. So those are the three gardening tips I have for you. Um, I'll close by reading a, a weekly update write-up that I did actually right about this time last year after doing a 24-hour period of solitude uh, by myself. Last week, my wife and daughters went out of state to visit family. While they were gone, I decided to do a solo camping trip. I packed up some gear, drove up into the mountains, and hiked into the woods a mile or so from the nearest sign of human activity. My intention was to use the time to be still and embrace the quiet in hopes that God would speak and I would hear from him. As afternoon sank into evening and evening to night, I found myself delighted and at peace as I observed God's creation. Mountain streams babbling through the woods, stars appearing as daylight dissipated, and a pair of barred owls squabbling above my tent. It wasn't until the next morning it dawned on me. I think God enjoys watching his creation as much as I do. No, even more. And he's watching all of this with me. I started to think about when God created the earth. I couldn't help imagine how he must have sat back on the seventh day and just watched all that he had created as it went about its beautiful dance. I had gone into the woods hoping to hear from God, but I think he was delighted from the opportunity I had to simply be with him. The best kinds of relationships in life are not transactional. Sadly, I have a tendency to treat my relationship with God as if it was. The best and most intimate relationships are ones that don't require an agenda or an outcome. God keeps gently reminding me that he didn't save me just so that I could serve him. Although that is part of it, he saved me simply because he loves me and he wants me to be with him.
Spiritual disciplines are not the goal. We, we encourage you to practice them with us, uh, to use them to, to grow your faith, but intimacy with Jesus is the ultimate goal. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this short time uh, that we've had together tonight. And uh, Lord, thank you for your word, which uh, give us examples uh, of how to, to live our lives, to, to follow Jesus, how to be like your son, Lord. Thank you for the ways that you use um, your word and the examples in it to, to transform our hearts. Lord, I pray that um, this would just be a seed in, in, in our hearts that, Lord, you would use to grow into fruit. Father, um, anything that was not from you in this message, Lord, I just pray that it would uh, fall away. And, Lord, may your truth be remembered and uh, your name be lifted high. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.